Hey, good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. Nice to be in person. It's been a long time since I've had a chance to, to bring a sermon in front of a live audience, so it's, it's a real pleasure. I've been looking forward to this, um, and I want to thank Chris for allowing me the space to preach within this sermon series. Um, this particular passage in James that I'm going to be speaking out of is, is a verse that's been a lifeline for me, and even um, it's been an anchor point for the ministry that I lead, Do For One. And so I'm really excited to, to, to highlight a couple of things that have been on my heart throughout this really difficult season for so many of us. Um, I feel a little bad, though, you know, because Chris is just coming back, and now I'm filling in the slot. Um, we talked about doing, like, a first-ever two-guy sermon where we would just, like, pass the mic back and forth, but no, I'm just kidding. We didn't, we didn't plan on doing that. Um, but seriously, I, I just want to give, give a couple of acknowledgments. Um, can we give it up for Ellie, who had just led, led us in worship? Wasn't that wonderful? She's from the, um, the Experience Vineyard Church, and it's been wonderful to have her to help um, uh, uh, lead us in worship during this time, because you may or may not be aware that Shay, our dear worship leader, um, just became a mother recently, and so she's currently on maternity leave. So shout out to Shay if she's tuning in. Yeah, let's put our hands together for Shay. It's amazing, right? So much has changed. I was thinking, actually, about Shay, and it's amazing to think that during this entire pandemic, she both got married and became a parent. Isn't that unbelievable? And I don't know about you, but when I run into some of you and I see you for the first time, and it's like you say, hey, how are you? It's like, uh, <laughs> you know, the life, our life over the past two years flashes before our eyes, you know. Countless Zoom calls with shorts and, you know, slippers on and all of those kinds of things. It's just, it's been such a wild time. So, and I can't, I can't, I can't emphasize enough how wonderful it is to be back in person and to hear your voices sing praises to the Lord. Um, we're going to continue this series on the book of James, and it's titled Authentic Faith. Um, and as Chris has been sharing, sharing all throughout this, this series, um, I'll say it again, that it's a very practical book. It very much addresses what our lives should look like, what, the, what our lives should look like when we follow after Jesus. It's, it's a short book. It's a wisdom book, and it has similarities to the book of Proverbs. If you read Proverbs and go to James, you'll see some similarities there. But what's unique about James is that he weaves in the teachings of Jesus within the wise words of, of King Solomon. Um, James was entrusted to lead the Messianic like mother church of Jerusalem, which was planted by Peter, um, one of Jesus' disciples. And um, during that time, there was a lot of famine. Christians were being persecuted, and there was a lot of fights, and there was a lot of divisions within the church at this time. And so this letter, although it's to a particular church for a particular time, we very much can read this letter and, and try to interpret and understand what James might say to the church today. It's no secret that we're going through troubling times of our own. So with that, let me read James 3, verse 13 through 18, and then pray for us. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, 
than peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we take a moment to still and quiet our souls before you. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would prepare fertile soil for each of us today. We're all different people coming from different places. You know our name. You know our every thought. Would you minister to us, each of us, in the particular ways that you would wish to minister to us today? In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start by looking at the last verse, which is, Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. What does it mean to sow in peace? Well, to sow something means to plant something, to put seeds in the ground. A farmer will scatter seeds among the soil to produce crops like, you know, rice or wheat or corn or fruit or vegetables. And James is telling us that we're sowing peace. And peace, what does that mean? Peace means there's no disturbance. Peace means there's no anxiety, there's no fear. Peace means that there's tranquility. And we can experience little tastes of peace in day-to-day life, like when the fall, cool, crisp air comes and we breathe it in for the first time. There's just a little bit of a hint of peace there. When we experience peace, amongst, you know, when we have disturbance in friendships, but then we reconcile and we make peace. We can experience peace in our minds when we finally reach the end of our day and we turn off our phones, we turn off our lights, and we lie down and we just hear nothing but quiet. We can experience peace, no disturbance. When peace, there's no war, there's no fighting, there's no violence. When there's peace, we, it's brought into a situation when enemies become friends, you know, Being a peacemaker means that we make a sincere effort to build bridges across difference, to help two people who are at odds with each other reach an understanding, especially when there's hostility. We're being peacemakers. But sowing in peace doesn't mean that we always achieve peace. And that's where a lot of us, I think, get stuck as we think, oh, well, what's the point in trying here? I mean, we're not going to be able to bring peace to this situation. But a peacemaker tries. A peacemaker sows in peace. It doesn't mean that they will always achieve peace, but it means that they will plant the seeds of peace and let God be God in the situation. Um, Whenever, in my family, whenever there was um, uh, fighting amongst family members, my dear Uncle Dwayne was the peacemaker in our family. He was gentle, he was kind, he was sweet. And I think, to be honest, time to time he would kind of irritate the other family members because he would be the one to say, hey, we need to sit down and talk. And he would sit down between two fighting family members and he would try to help them bring an understanding, a neutral person coming into a fight and trying to bring understanding. And what I find, as I look back upon his life, one thing that I find so admirable about him is I think he knew, more than likely, (laughs) these people... Like, they might not be able to actually resolve the conflict, but nonetheless, he did what he needed to do as a peacemaker, which is, let's try, let's sow in peace. 
Unfortunately, our un Uncle Duane is, is no longer with us, and we can feel that in our family, you know? Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Those of us who might be fa facing uh, marriage difficulties now, or issues with our children, or perhaps coworkers, whenever we make an effort towards peace, sometimes we may achieve it, sometimes we may not, but when we make an effort, we're sowing in peace, we're being peacemakers. To be a peacemaker, don't misunderstand me here, it does not mean that we stand idly by and just watch what's gone, gone wrong in the world and just do nothing about it. It means that we see what's wrong. It means that we courageously call it out for what it is with a clear mind and a clear heart, and we actively look for ways to make what's gone wrong in the world to go right again. The program that I work for is called Do For One, and we bring two people who are across societal differences someone with a disability, someone without a disability, to come together in friendship to reach an understanding with one another. And it's my joy and honor to see many people who are sowing seeds of kindness and love and peace all throughout the city by becoming friends with somebody who is friendless. James says that when we sow in peace, we will reap a harvest of righteousness. Have you ever seen a harvest? You know, have you ever seen... Uh, crops or fields of, 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 of a harvest. I grew up in Illinois, and I love going in the summertime and just looking to my left and to my right when I'm driving down the road and seeing cornfields after cornfields. Harvest. Oh, uh, James says that when we sow in peace that we'll reap a harvest of righteousness. So, when we consider the day and age that we're living in now, my question is, Perhaps your question is, as you're hearing me talk, is where are the peacemakers? Where are the peacemakers? If you're like me, you might be feeling a bit spiritually malnourished from not having been together in person for so long. If we're honest with ourselves, it's been very, very difficult. And we can come back together again and we can appreciate and we can remember why it is that the Bible says time and time again, let, let's not give up the habit of meeting together. So important for our spiritual health and spiritual growth. But over the past couple of years, we've seen violence and we've seen outrage just about everywhere we look. We've been overwhelmed by fear and anxiety. We've been overwhelmed by death. And it seems that a lot of us have hardly even had a chance to come up for air, to grieve, and to process I know I joke about it earlier when I say, how are you? But really, how are we? How am I? You know, it's overwhelming, unprecedented. And heavy things just keep happening. We were overwhelmed by images of police brutality and abuses of power. And we saw minority communities struggling to be heard and to be understood. We saw um, thousands of nursing home deaths related to COVID in New York that were unaccounted for. The last I heard in USA Today, it said that um, in, in, in New York, there were over 13,000 deaths in nursing homes, but only about 8,000 were accounted for. But on a lighter note, you know, I don't know, did anybody sit down and watch the TV reality show Tiger King? You know, our jaws dropped at the insanity of that show. Isn't it funny to think about this time? I mean, what a strange, strange time. That seems like forever ago, right? But that was the beginning of the pandemic, pandemic, believe it or not. But there's a call today for peacemakers. Where are the peacemakers? 
There was this essay in the Times of London in the 1900s, um, and, and they posed this question to several prominent authors. What's wrong with the world today was the question. And then there was an open call for people to address that question uh, with a number of essays that they would then publish in the newspaper. And isn't that a question that you and I love to, love to get into these days? What's wrong with the world? And then we might bring up all of these different things that I had just mentioned. It's like, well, what's wrong with the world is, is racism and violence and, and sexual immorality and all of these kinds of things. Well, in response to this question, there's a well-known author named G.K. Chesterton who responded with a two-word essay, and he said this. I think we have it as a slide. What's wrong with the world today? He said, dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. Imagine how different our social environment would be right now if that was the answer to our world's problems. And I realize in bringing this up right now that that's very unpopular of me to bring up such a statement. You know what's popular now? What's popular is to say, oh, sure, there's a lot of bad people out there that are causing all sorts of problems in the world, and I'm so glad that I'm not one of them. Isn't that more or less what we might tell ourselves or we might hear from others? What G.K. Chesterton is ultimately pointing us to is the very heart of the Christian message, which is that We are all a part of the problem, and we need heaven to come down to save us. With all the conversations now, I've done it. I've heard others do it. We shrug our shoulders, and we say something like, I give up. I give up on these people. They'll never get it. They'll never understand. What's amazing about the gospel is that God looks at you and I, and he looks at all sides of every issue, and he says, I'll never give up on you. God is a peacemaker, and he wants to make peace with you and I, and he'll never give up on us. He sent Jesus down to live a life that you and I could never live and died a death that you and I could never die and resurrected so that we can be overcomers, so that he can break the the chain of sin and violence and all of these things that are causing so many problems in our world. He is the great peacemaker. But let's go back into these verses and look at some more. Um, We'll go back to verse 13. It says, who is wise and understanding among you, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. It seems as though James is saying here, so you think you're wise? Well, I'll tell you who is wise. The one who is humble is wise. And what I find fascinating is what he doesn't say. So a lot of times when we think of wisdom, we think, oh, it's the person who always has the, the wise thing to say, the right thing to say. But he doesn't say it's about somebody who says the right thing. He doesn't say the one who is wise is the one who's right all the time. The one who gets all the facts straight, right? He says, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility. So he's going deeper. He's going down to the soil of our lives, the character of our lives. And these days, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And there's a huge emphasis on getting all the facts straight. And don't get me wrong, misinformation is a really big issue right now. And getting the facts straight is very important. There's no doubt about that. But in this passage, I find it interesting that he's dealing with wisdom, two different kinds of wisdom, and he's saying that heavenly wisdom isn't just about getting all the facts right. It was in the way that they were being right. It was an issue of their heart. If you're married or if you have, you know, a a girlfriend or boyfriend or something like that, you've probably heard, it's not what you said, it's the way you said it, right? 
and that matters. There's a story that the Desert Fathers used to, used to tell um, that I think makes an interesting point here. Um, it's a story of three friends. Um, the first friend uh, uh, is, was a peacemaker. He, he wanted to he wanted to settle uh, disputes amongst people in their town um, who were fighting. So he, he set out to do that, and he was struggling to do that. Um, the second friend uh, felt a calling to go uh, tend to the sick and visit, visit with all the sick in the neighborhood. And, and he also um, he, he, he couldn't f- seem to fulfill the command. And so they, they get together, and they talk amongst themselves, and they, they say, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. I can't seem to perfect this thing. I want to get it right, but I can't seem to do it. And so then they decide to go and visit the, first, the, the third person who lives out in the desert. And uh, uh, they seek this person for advice, and they ask, you know, what, 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 what have you found? What, what are you up to? <laughs> and um, this person was silent for a time, and he takes water and he pours it into a bowl. And he said, look at the water. And they look at the water. The water was full of disturbance. It was crashing around. And then they waited for a moment. And then this person said, look at it again. And the water was still. And when they looked at the water, they could see their face in the reflection. And then the person said, in the same way a person who is living in the midst of people does not, have his own, uh, does not see his own sins because of all the disturbance, but if he becomes tranquil, then he can see his own shortcomings. And so one thing that has been constantly on my heart, especially the past several weeks, has just been this importance to be still. And when I share this story, I'm not at all suggesting that we all just escape into the desert somewhere, you know, and remove ourselves from society or something like that. But the point is that oftentimes we're so active, we're so busy, and we, we become so hastefully uh, 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 judgmental and all of those kinds of things without having a chance to still our souls to the point to where we can begin to see ourselves and to really ponder, how am I doing? How is my prayer life? So I just want to encourage us to slow down for a moment because the road to peace is tranquil. It's a tranquil soul. Several days ago, I was lacking peace myself, and I turned to Psalm 139, and I just want to read some of the words of Psalm 139 with you, and if we could all just slow our hearts down for a moment and and reflect on these words. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it, Lord, completely. Where can I go from your spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And as I got alone with the Lord, I repeated that about four or five times. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Our souls are like bowls of water, you know. When we sense that there's just crashing around, we, we know that that's the time to be still. And oftentimes we can go back to these wonderful psalms as a, as a help for us uh, to, 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 to maintain a prayer life. Um, and there are, all, there are all sorts of ways that we can experience disturbance in our soul. We've carried so much for so long. There are so many voices grabbing for our attention and pulling us away from a peaceful place. 
but turn to the Psalms. You know, I think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down, leads me beside still waters, you know. And if there's nothing else that, we can get, that you can get from this message, it's just, it's like we, we can't become peacemakers if we ourselves are not at peace. So Lord, would you help us with our prayer lives? Help us to be still. I want to go back to um, verse 13 and 14. Uh, look at 14 as well. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you har- harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. So again, wisdom that James is talking about is not just getting the facts straight and then using that knowledge to boast it over other people. But wisdom is both having that knowledge of the truth, but living it out through good deeds and humility. So in other words, you can be technically right about something, but be me, but me morally wrong. And James is saying that you can't be right if you're morally wrong. He's, he's both come together. And, you know, and the reason is, 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 if, is if we use what we know to lord it, other, uh, lord it over other people, we won't be able to see clearly. We won't be able to see reality clearly. It's like when, when Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye, you know, before you can take the speck out of your own neighbors. And so again, being still, allowing our souls to settle, reflecting, allowing the Lord to speak to us first. If we harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in our hearts, it might even lead us to deny the truth, as the, as the, as the verse says. And we see this time and time again, too, where, you know, uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a fight or, you know, well, I'm sure, I'm sure we've all been in a fight, right? What kind of question is that? Um, you know, if you, if you claim some position really confidently, and then in the middle of the conversation you realize you might have been wrong about the position you started with, it's really hard to pull yourself out of that situation, isn't it? But how often do we just stick to that position anyway and we deny the truth? right? Whether it's a political position or, or a position between the fight of a husband and a wife, regardless of what it is, we, we trap ourselves. And that's what James is saying here, is when we approach things with that kind of arrogance, we, we start, it's not an issue of knowing the truth, at least, at least in this context. It's an issue of being so, you know, sure of ourselves that we end up denying that truth. So, um, Moving on, uh, uh, verse uh, uh, 15 and 16 says, Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. And what James is essentially saying here is we cannot be for peace in the world if the world still has power over us. When we seek peace and we still belong to the world, selfish ambition and all those kinds of things will begin to emerge. And as, as Chris has been preaching through this, this, this book of James, all throughout the book of James, we see this time and time again where um, uh, the fruit of our lives gives evidence to where we're putting our ultimate trust. And so we can, we can even be out, we can set out to do good things, like addressing social justice issues, for instance. But if we're coming at it from the wrong motivation, eventually bad fruit will start to emerge. Um, I was reading this, this, uh, this book called The Road to Peace, or The Pathway to Peace um, by Henry Nouwen, and I just want to read a quote from you that I think highlights this pretty powerfully and convictingly. Um, Henry Nouwen says, 
Though it might be easy to recognize the forces of darkness around us, it is very hard to recognize the same forces in our own good works. Self-doubt, inner restlessness, fear of being left alone, need for recognition and a desire for fame and popularity are often stronger motives in our actions for peace than a true passion for service. These are the motives that bring elements of war into the midst of our action for peace. Only when we are willing to repeatedly confess that we do have dirty hands, even when we work for peace, can we fully understand the hard task of peacemaking. It's challenging, right? It's challenging for us. Heavenly wisdom comes from a place of humility because we remember where we came from, you know? We remember that if it wasn't for the grace of God, where would I be in my life? And we can think of a lot of different places in Scripture that says this, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. Or when Jesus says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And again, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of others. And it reminds me going back into James 1, uh, 23 and 24, where, where, he, where he writes, um, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So again, I know I keep repeating myself, but if there's nothing else that I want you to get, that you get from this is, is to be still and to allow our souls to be still. We're such action-oriented people, get-it-done people, and especially as the fall season is coming upon us and um, hopefully we're reaching the, the, the end of this pandemic and things start to pick up again, life is getting busier but let's not forget the importance of being still because we cannot be peacemakers if we ourselves are not at peace. I'd like to have um, Ellie come up and begin to play as I start to close. Let's allow the ripples over the water in our soul to settle for a moment, to be in peace and just know that as we begin to see ourselves, we may see spots and blemishes, but as we confess those things to the Lord, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us of our sins. And we can be purified in all righteousness, clothed in him. When we remember that we belong to God through prayer and when we remember that it's his love that we long for, it's not the affirmations of this world, we can be still. And out of that place, we can become peacemakers. We can bring his peace and his wisdom into the world, which is so needed today. Can we develop a habit of turning to the Lord and his grace who never runs dry and stay grounded in that place so that when we approach conflict, the power of the world no longer grips us, but we can be channels of God's grace, channels of God's peace. And I'm not at all saying that we all just sit and be cozy and avoid all of the things that are going on in our world. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is in prayer we can become people of peace so that we can move out into the world and have more courage to confront injustices. We can lay down our right to be right because we know that only God is right. Sowing peace. Sowing in peace. It may appear that we're out of touch with the world. But the reality is that being in touch with God is exactly what the world needs right now.
when we can come out of a place, the power of the gospel moves within us, when the power of the world no longer grips us, we can start to sound like this. And I, I'm just trying to think of, I was trying to think of some examples to give you an idea of what it looks like to be an activist for justice, but to also operate out of freedom from the power of the world. I think of Martin Luther King Jr., who in Memphis, Tennessee, in 1968, this was moments before he was assassinated, he said this, referring to the Civil Rights Movement. He said, we've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. And I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I think of all the advocates who's gotten involved through Do For One who are sowing peace and sowing kindness and love all throughout the city. And what takes great courage with these kinds of things is that we don't always see the fruit of our labor, but we believe so wholeheartedly in peace that we just keep sowing just keep holding on to faith and sowing. Let me read verse 17 and 18, and I'll invite us to stand. Here's heavenly wisdom, and I wish I had more time to unpack each of these words, but let me just read them for us. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Can we stand together? The way that I want to invite us to respond is um, if we could just close our eyes. Some of you might be familiar with the story, but if not, it's okay. I'll try to illustrate it for you. Um, Jesus and his disciples were on a boat. Jesus was sleeping. The disciples began to be worried. Imagine yourself on this boat for a moment. Because a storm started coming and the waves started crashing all around them. And yet Jesus, there he is asleep. What is it in your life that feels as though it's like this storm? Waves crashing all around you, overwhelming you with fear and anxiety. It could be all kinds of things for all of us. But what is it for you? What is the storm? What is it that's causing you to lack in peace right now? Because whatever it is, Just like Jesus responds to the disciples, he can respond to you. He wakes up, the disciples wake him up, and Jesus simply says, peace, be still. And the storm goes away, and the water goes back to stillness. Can we take a moment and even lift your hands if you you feel led to just bring that storm to the Lord? What is it throughout the past couple of years that seems to just be culminating in your own soul that's causing a disturbance. And if you're like me, in many ways, we've just kind of hurried along and found, found ways of avoiding it, not really looking at it. But 
when we pause and we're still, we realize, wow, this water is crashing all around in my spirit right now. Peace be still, Jesus says. Peace be still. As we respond, um, prayer is available in the back to my left, to your right. If you would like to receive individual prayer, I'm going to close in prayer. And I asked um, Ellie if she could sing that um, beautiful chorus that she taught us this morning. I love, I love, I love your presence. And I want to invite us to imagine that water going still as we abide in him, as we step into his presence, allow him to have his way. I love, I love, I love your presence. I love, I love, I love you, Jesus. Dear Lord, Dear Lord, we come to you right now. And we want, we want you to, to, to wake up. And we want you to look at the storm. And we want you to say, peace be still. Peace be still. And we confess that there's so many ways in which we've numbed ourselves from the pain of this season. We've distracted ourselves from the anger that we feel about things that have happened. We've busied ourselves. We've distracted ourselves. But in this moment, Lord God, we acknowledge that the water is disturbing us. It's getting in the way of us being close to you. Restore us, O Lord. Restore the joy of our salvation, O Lord. Peace be still. Be still. Will you be with us now as we respond in song? Would you overwhelm us with your presence, Lord? Would you give us a strong sense that you are here, you are with us, you are for us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.